welcome to the Cigar Cast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Shane's Back Porch here in beautiful Spring Hill, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Devin. I'm joined as I am every week by Mr. Shane Reeves. I feel that beautiful is somewhat of an understatement today. It really is. This is the nicest day we've had in a while. Yeah, it's, it's 70, 70 degrees exactly. And okay, the perfect cigar weather... I will argue is seventy degrees. I like seventy-two. Well, 70, but you're a little more well insulated than I am, so I like it a little bit warmer. You will chill quickly, more quickly than I will. Yes, and I'll. But a seventy for me is perfect cigar weather because I can sit out in just a short sleeve shirt mm-hmm. and don't have to worry about anything. Well, and two, you've got a perfect setup here because you've got a little bit of cross breeze going now. But if if it were a little bit less sunny, if it were a little windier, you could close it off and still get the temperature but not have the... I'm on an exposed patio. If it's too windy, 70 is freezing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, earlier this week, it, me and Ace went for a walk, and it was just so windy. There was no... Yeah. It, even though it was 60-something degrees, it felt like it was 40. Yeah. And uh, But anyway, they didn't call to hear us. They didn't tune in to hear us talk the about weather the weather. Report. And I'll tell... Let me tell everybody what you're smoking. All right. So... Trey arrived at the house, and he, he, like a bird dog, went on point to some unbanded cigars in the bottom of my humidor. Like a moth to a flame. (laughs) I am a sucker for an unbanded cigar. So, a couple of years ago, probably five years ago, one of my builders called me around Christmas. He said, Shane, I've got a present for you. And I thought, well, this is unusual. Builders don't usually get me presents for Christmas. He brought in a CAO gold humidor, and it was a big, full humidor, and it had all kinds of cigars in it. I was floored by how many cigars were in it, and I said, what's the deal with this? He said, I was friends with the guys that owned CAO before General Baldham. I was friends with them, and they gave me this humidor, and I don't smoke cigars. So the cigars in it were just hard as rocks. It obviously had not seen a lick of humidification in years. This one's not far removed from that. It's still got some some <laughs> hardness to it. It's drawing fine. Right. Well, as long as it's drawing yeah. fine. And that's the trick with those is that you can't over-humidify a cigar once it's been dried out. Because the wrapper's already in a compromised position structurally. You're very slowly. And also, that's a CAO Gold Maduro that you're smoking. It's it's really impressive just off first light. Well, the thing is, it's it's one of those cigars that you'll never get another of. Right. I mean, well, so I, I got be- more in the humidor, so I better not like it too much. <laughs> yeah, I got more in the humidor. I mean, you're welcome to another anytime you want it. But once those are gone, they're gone. That's it. Yeah. And also, I guess today we're both going to smoke a rare cigar. I'm going to be smoking a 2013 Quattro Cinco. So, We're both oh, going into the Wayback Machine. Oh, yeah. You probably further than I. I imagine that cigar you're holding is, what, at least 10 years old? At a minimum. Yeah, at least 10. I mean, when, what year did General buy CAO? Who knows? Uh, 11 or 12, I want to say. Yeah. So, anyway. So, Hoya de Nicaragua released the Quattro Cinco Limited Edition. And this was in 2013. They only released 4,500 boxes. And um, they were 10-count boxes. And it was such a big hit, they re-released it into a regular production. 
but I think this one is a little different. So the wrapper and binder is Jalapa Valley, while the filler is Esteli tobaccos that were aged in oak barrels for more than a year. And just a little bit of five-year-old Lajero leaf in the filler gives it that punch. Yeah. You know, just a touch. So I'm really, I've had, I bought two boxes of these when they came out, and I think I'm, I've got three cigars left. Yeah. I remember having one of them or a couple of them when they first came out as a limited release. I haven't had one. I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily unimpressed by it, but it just, it didn't hit my palate the way it does yours. But that's really, you're a bigger Hoya fan than I am just in general. So it doesn't surprise me too terribly much. Um, but it was a very good cigar. Just, um, so I'll be interested to get your report with that one having so much age on it. But speaking of Hoya to Nicaragua, they announced this week um, that they're releasing a cigar specifically for the Asian market, which is that the first time we've ever heard of that happening? I think it is. I think this is the first Asian-only release we've we've ever talked about. And uh, it's the Quattro Cinco Edition Asia. And um, four and three quarter by 60 ring gauge. So it's one of those short and stubby ones. Yeah, that that's a uh, that's an interesting looking cigar. It's barely got more tobacco showing than it has band showing. By the time you had the foot band and the the main label, there's it's basically all label. Yeah, it's going to hit China, Hong Kong, Macau, and Vietnam in May. This goes. I, I think this is really interesting because it's something we talk about a lot in in terms of how regionally specific tastes and cigars are you know you go to miami and you're going to find much different cigars in the humidor than you do here in nashville versus chicago versus albuquerque new mexico they're all they're all going to be different and not only the brands and and lines but also in sizes you know i think it's interesting to look at you know a, a specific asian market release at being in that four and three quarter by 60 ring gauge size i wonder if that says something about that market see i wonder i wonder if they're trying something new or if this is an asian market if that's if that's something you know the size asian markets like and i've never smoked in china nor do i intend to right so i'm not sure how that will how that will affect me (laughs) but i think it's interesting it's worth mentioning that it is that they are doing um you know, so much, you know, one of my favorite books last year was Totally Ruined in Movie Form. And all uh, The Meg by Steve Alton was one of my favorite books. Okay. And they made the movie solely so they could sell it in China. Mm. They completely sold out the plot, sold out the details, sold out everything of any value from the book to the movie. Not since World War Z have I been so dis- so disappointed with the adaptation of book to movie. Have the two been so far apart? Yeah, and all. And it's interesting as you try to get into different markets. Um, is it worthwhile getting into those markets? You know, it, the good thing is if you do a, a specific, this is a good way to test the market, right? And all they can say, okay, this is just for the Asia market, and see what happens. Yeah, it'll be. I'll be interested to watch kind of how that comes along, and uh, see if maybe that size ends up in the states at some point. So this next article comes from Complete Colorado, page two, original reporting and commentary. I don't know why this is page two. I don't understand that. It's literally the title is page two. Yeah, I have no idea why weed and booze are essential, but not your cigar. 
and all. And, you you know, we kind of knew these articles were coming. Mm-hmm. We kind of knew that this was out there in the ether. And I'm, I'm kind of going to take a stand on this different than probably what most people think. You support you, it? Well, you can get your cigars. Yes. And during a pandemic is not the time for us all to hang out in a cigar shop together. Right. Um, now that the pandemic... You know, when they re-release, you know, here in Tennessee, May 1st, we're, we're done. They're going to start letting us go back to places, and I'm going to go back to places. And I'll, if if you don't think that's the right move, stay home. But, I mean, it seems the simplest thing in the world. Right. And, but I don't think during the pandemic was the time, because cigar people, you know, even to let them walk in the humidor. And I'll, how many times do you touch a, hum- a cigar without buying it in a humidor? It's it's rarer for me than most people, right? Which you're you're probably better educated. Let me rephrase the the question: How many times does the average cigar consumer touch cigars before buying them? Oh, they probably touch five for every one they take to the till. Yeah, they touch. And the worst thing of all, when they stick them right up there their nose. Yeah, even the cellophane on them is like, hey, um, that cellophane's a. <laughs> and I yeah. was explaining to somebody the other day. I said, you know, the cellophane. One of the purposes it serves is it does keep the cigars in the humidor from blending flavors. Right. You know, if you set a Gurkha next to a Padron, it keeps it from from. I guess that that would cause an explosion of yeah, some sort. Yeah, I think it would. <laughs> if those two flavors mixed, I'm sure there would be some sort of an explosion. That's <laughs> your that's furniture t- would start levitating. <laughs> I probably need to say an LFD and a Camacho. Get right. something a little closer together. <laughs> and I'll. But, but yeah, part of the part of the purpose uh, to rein you in a little bit <laughs> is to keep that cross contamination and to keep each of the the flavors to stay within that cigar, so you don't get a blending. It's it's the same reason you don't plant peppers next to your tomatoes because you end up with spicy tomatoes right which if you're making salsa is great oh yeah (laughs) but so this is the this is the complaint of the people in colorado is okay and now this i do understand okay i can understand why you leave booze as an essential yeah have we talked about that on the show or have you and i just talked about so well Yeah, so I think, first of all, you have to think about where this is coming from. Colorado is a famously unfriendly to tobacco state. They have one of the most strict smoking bans in the country uh, from a state perspective. And they're just in in general not very friendly to tobacco to begin with. Right, they'd rather their children smoke weed than tobacco. Yeah, and then to kind of further on the point you were making is that, you know, booze... So there's a lot there's a lot of reasons out there why it would be essential but the the one that makes the most sense to me and whether anyone was actually thinking along these lines when they made these rules or not probably not alcohol is one of only two substances for which the withdrawal symptoms can be lethal uh that and benzos are the is the other one Everything else, heroin, cocaine, you know, as you're coming down from that, you're going to feel like garbage, but you're not actually in danger of of any adverse health conditions. Alcohol withdrawals can actually kill a person. Right. Okay, so why why is the weed left open? So I think that has a lot to do with weed culture and with the weed lobby because there is so much – Colorado is one of the few – I believe that didn't take this route, but most states who have recreational or legal marijuana in some kind start medicinal 
Therefore, it kind of gets lumped in as this, well, it's a prescription. We can't keep people away from their prescriptions during a, during a pandemic because it's, you know, essential to whatever ailment they're trying to mitigate. Now, does that mean that my optometrist's office is still open? No, but they still call glasses a prescription, but that's a story for another day. Well, you know, the weed thing is they've made weed a folk hero. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to do anything. And Colorado is just making a ton of money off of weed. Oh, yeah. I mean, follow the money. The money for Colorado is in weed. There's no money in tobacco in Colorado. Well, a perfect case in point. In Nashville, in Davidson County, where I live, our major, almost a third of our city's budget comes from tourism. Right. You think about what a massive amount of money it takes to run a city the size of Nashville, and you think about a third of that all coming from our, our tourism revenue. And that's all dried up because of this, because you know people can't go out to the bars, people can't hold conventions, that sort of thing, to the point that our property taxes are going to be increased by 20% this year. Which is wild, seeing as how... Most people took about a 20% pay cut during this thing. Yeah. It's, it's it funny how that number lines up. Basically, our our mayor just guaranteed that he won't get reelected is what happened with that. But uh, so if you're a state that has legalized recreational and or medicinal marijuana, the, the revenue from that, you know, if you're going to lose out on other revenue streams, sales tax and other things, yeah, protect what you can. Well... And I think I think cigar shops curbside is fine during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's being unfair to cigar shops. I don't think it's being un, you know, I, I don't think that we should throw the doors open and say, okay, everybody come in and ramble through the humidor during a pandemic. I still think when it does open up that they should prioritize curbside and uh, and and grab and go sales. And then keep the the, the seating in, in such a way, at least, because just because the state opens up doesn't mean that the risk that it was intended to subvert has necessarily gone. Again, take your own risk into your own, you, you know, figure out how much risk you're willing to undertake for yourself personally. Don't let the government step in and, and tell you what you have to be afraid of and, and whatnot. But uh, I do think we will see some of these stores kind of continue the curbside or the call ahead order. I think that's something that may stick around. Oh yeah, it's you know there's things that kind of change the world, and this has changed. The world has kind of changed as a result of this. And on there will be pandemics after this, just like there were pandemics before. But this is the one that got all the attention. Right. This is the first major pandemic since the internet age really came. I, w- I would narrow it down even more to social media. Well, yeah, that's I'm I'm lumping those two together. Yeah, I think I think the social media fired this, but we're, okay, enough enough COVID talk. I'm going to pull the show over for a second. What the heck is the point in putting shutters on a window that are a third the width of the, of of the, the actual wi- of the actual window? They could not do anything to possibly actually be functional. What is the point of that? They're purely decorative, purely aesthetic. That just looks so weird. Well, you know, if you look at the house over here, you see they did the same thing. Yeah. But if they had shutters the size of the windows on there, there wouldn't be no room. The you know no, where I, it sits is way I too large. I understand they're not functional shutters, but it still just looks so silly. 
<laughs> I have I have that argument more often than you might think. <laughs> I'm not surprised. No, there's a, there, that argument occurs in my office more often than you might think. Because some people just like shutters and they're... And when was the last time you closed the shutters on oh, a house yeah. in Tennessee? When was the last time you saw functional shutters? Oh, yeah. I mean, unless you're in Florida during right. hurricane season. Yeah. Speaking of Florida, um, the last corona talk I do want to have is staying afloat continue, continues to grow arduous for cigar shops. So this is um, in the Orlando Spectrum News 13 local headlines. And this is basically talking about one of our favorite shops down there, Corona Cigars. And on the owner, Jeff Borowitz. So he said he basically has said it's been very difficult, but their online sales have saved them. And that's been something that's been huge for them even before all of this started. They've always been a very online heavy shop. They've carried some exclusives that are good enough to to take up shelf space right next to any of your favorites. Well, and also one of the few places that you can get a TAA cigar sent to you from an online retailer. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very rare. Like you can order a box of, you know, I looked at um, ordering a box of the Brickhouse Porciento from there. Right. Because they're a TAA shop and they're willing to ship. Mm-hmm. And that's not that's not seen very often. They may be the only one, at least that I'm aware of. Yeah. So they have 125 employees, and he's not had to furlough or lay off any of them. I'm sure he's lost money during this time. I'm sure our local shop has lost money during this time. 125 employees he has. That is huge for a cigar shop. Well, there's three shops. But still. Oh, yeah, still. But your average cigar shop's employing five or six people. Yeah, but, you know, I've been there. There's a couple of bartenders. Yeah. There's always a couple of guys working the floor. There's a couple of guys working behind the counter. They'll cut your cigar for you. They'll light your cigar for you. They spend time with you. I mean, they really do it upright at Corona Cigar. Mm-hmm. And I've really been impressed by every time I've visited there and and went through. The only thing I don't like is they don't have a humidor. The shop is the humidor. Right. Um, but you made a, a point about you know some of our local shops. I've I've had the opportunity to talk with a couple of friends of ours who who own shops here in the area, and it seems like the ones who are doing the best were the ones that got on the curbside delivery early. Right. The ones who took a little. I, I found out there was a shop that reopened a week and a half ago just for curbside, but they had been properly shut down for two weeks leading up to that. And now they're struggling even harder because everybody has gotten into the rhythm of going to these other ones. And it's so I really think, you know, for him, him having gotten out on the front edge of this uh, has really helped. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, you've got to in modern business, you're going to have to have an Internet presence. And, and and the ability to leverage social media and to adapt quickly. Right. And that's one of the things he has done. See that giant bee swinging yeah. around? Ace has tried to eat that bee for about three weeks. You should see <laughs> you should see in your life sorry everybody. You should see in your life an eighty five pound black Labrador trying to catch a giant carpenter bee. It's the funniest <laughs> thing you'll ever watch. Yeah, you get him a tennis racket. <laughs> My kill count's up in the two dozen range right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, he he would love to eat that bee, and I think it would be a big disappointment for him if he did. Yeah. <laughs> he's, what did I waste the last three years of my life doing? Yeah, he's inside right now because if he had been out here when that happened, you would have just heard crashing and all our equipment totally wrecked. <laughs> but uh, hats off to Jeff Borowitz because I'm sure he's not made money, but he has kept his employees running. Yeah, and that's the name of the game right now. Oh, yeah. 
So one more article I want to talk to before we go to break. And I seen this and I thought, well, this sounds interesting. And it's from The Drive, thedrive.com. How to get rid of the smell of smoke in three easy steps. And uh, so you smoke in your car daily. Yes. And uh, what's what's the standard protocol? So uh, before we get too far into this article, I want to point out that the picture at the top of the page is a cigarette, not cigars. That does make a difference. I can let my car sit with the windows down for a couple of days, and it basically takes the cigar smoke out. Um, Assuming someone doesn't steal your seats. Right. Well, that helps because the seats really absorb. I don't have really leather. Um, no, I, you know, if you're somewhere where you can safely do that. Fresh air is the best way to get rid of cigar smoke. I, I know several people whose wives don't like the smell of smoke, and so when they come home from the cigar shop, they get naked in the garage and leave the clothes out there for a couple of days. And then, and then when they bring them in to do laundry, it's not nearly as bad. I had one buddy whose wife grumbled about the way the clothes made the washing machine smell after he washed his clothes that he took off in the garage. That's more of an indictment on your laundry detergent than anything else. I think it's an indictment on his wife more than anything else, that that's that's the level she's at. Well, it has been proven that women have a better sense of smell than men do, just by and large. Um, But anyway, carry on. Well... Oh, okay. Well, just take you a drink of water then. Don't 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 worry. We're not doing a show or oh, nothing well, here. Just keep uh, keep on swilling away. Uh, so, basically, the article talks about a three step process, which, by and large, makes sense. The last step is really the only one that actually has anything to do with getting rid of the smell. The first one is change your cabin air filter, which I think a lot of people don't realize that they actually have a car- cabin air filter. You know, everyone knows the air filter for the engine, but you actually have one it, in most cars. It's in the glove box, just like the one on your HVAC system in your house. Right. Um, this is one of those that I actually do change mine quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And I also very rarely run my car, my AC on the recirc mode. Right. Because what that's going to do is that's going to draw more fresh air in versus cleaning the air in the car. And it's going to help minimize the, the impact you have on that. Um, and then just give it a good thorough clean. That's, I mean, that's just good car maintenance. Well, this thing, so this article, not to be too critical of the people writing it, but I'm going to be. And I'll vacuum the floor, getting up any ash or cigarette butts. Did you need to tell me that stuff? Well, <laughs> I can't get the smell out of this. So <laughs> ash ankle deep and cigarette butts falling out the door every time so you open it. We actually do deodorization as a part of my job. And right. we do a lot of deodorization. And so you'd be amazed at the people that, that I have to tell on a daily basis. Job number one for deodorization is source removal. You know, my ha- my house smells like cat pee. Well, do you have a cat? Yeah. Okay. Kill the cat, then call me. <laughs> <laughs> no one really likes not, that answer. Not your greatest sales pitch ever, no, Trey. No. You're a little weak on that yeah. one. But, um, but the idea is what good is cleaning it if the source of the smell is going to be left behind? Right. Same thing here. And I think you shouldn't have to tell people to get the cigarette butts or the ash or whatever off the floor. But I think taking extra time to make sure you get... In between the seats, about once a year, I actually do a thorough deep cleaning of my car where I take all the seats out and actually 
scrub and and vacuum the carpet under the seat so you've got better access to that area where all the french fries accumulate right between the center console and the rails of the chair um i do think that's so so i under that premise i can kind of get why they would specifically highlight highlight getting that all out getting that all out well so about once a year once every year and a half, depending on what I'm doing, I just have my truck detailed. Mm-hmm. I take it to the shop. I have them do a thorough detailing. Now, by and large, I've got a sunroof. And let me tell you, the greatest the greatest asset to smoke not your car not smelling like cigar smoke is a sunroof. Yeah. You don't have to belt it all the way open. Mine's got the vent option. We rode back from Tunica with just the vent open, and Austin and Jay and I were all three smoking, and it was no problem whatsoever. Um. The smell doesn't stay in if you've got a sunroof because it's rising. Exactly. Um, I I don't have a sunroof in my car. And even if I've got the windows open, if I look in my rearview mirror after I exhale, I can see kind of an eddy of smoke hanging out by the back glass. That's just what it does. So when you're going to, so you replace the air filter. Mm -hmm. What do you recommend for a cleaning chemical to clean the, to clean the headliner, the carpet, the sun visor? All that stuff that holds smoke. What do you recommend? As as goofy as it gonna, as it's going to sound, for um, f- you know, for over the counter applications like this, not getting professionals involved, I like Scotchgard brand because they do. You know, obviously Scotchgard is kind of known for the protectant stuff, but they've got a pretty good line of upholstery cleaners as well. Now the little ionizers. 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 Thank you. Little ionizers that you plug into the cigarette lighter. Any good? I don't think so. Um, I feel like we talked about this on the show the other day, too. We talked about ionizers. Yeah, Yeah, the ozone. So if it's an ionizer that's creating ozone, uh, I don't like it for the reasons I, you know, go back a couple of weeks and listen to that show if you want to hear my, you know, I don't want to go back into it too much. The uh, the other ones are like the essential oil diffusers and that sort of thing, and you're just covering up a smell with another smell, right? And you're just going to get both two two bad a good smell and a bad smell make a really bad smell. Sure. Well, and the best product ever developed is Febreze. Mm-hmm. You just open that sucker up, you hit it with a Febreze, you Febreze it. I used to keep a bottle of Febreze in my truck. And if I had a cigar when I got out, if it's a sunny, bright day, I'd crack the windows, hit it with Febreze, and let it air out while I was in. The problem with that for me is that Febreze kicks my allergies into high gear. I don't know if there's something in that. I don't know if it's the the odor, the the smell that they put in it or what. But Febreze will kick my allergies into high gear to the point that I still have to let my car air out even after I do that. Um, the Finally, the last thing is they talk about getting a deodorizing product. Um, I lost my... Locate the engine intake. Yeah. So yeah. this is going to be, if you've ever noticed those little grill grates right below your windshield wipers, that's the intake for your HVAC system in most cars. Uh, basically, they say uh, in, in this article, turn the AC on, turn recirculation off, and put it, you know, just blast it, and then pour a deodorizer into that into that area. Good idea. Better idea. There is a product that we use at work uh, that's based on chlorine dioxide. 
that is phenomenal as a deodorizer. What it's actually doing is it's a lot like putting chlorine in your pool, right? except it, it evaporates and creates active molecules kind of in the airspace of your car. I have, you can get them on Amazon or you can get them from a number of different places. A couple of words of warning, definitely look at the warning labels on these things. They're not hazardous to touch, but you want to, you do want to be careful because we, it also exists in a gas form and that can actually be lethal if you get in an area where it's too high a concentration. So you do want to take some precautions, but if you search on Amazon for chlorine dioxide, you can find these little sachets full of, it looks like desiccant or that, that passive de, uh, dehumidification stuff that you right. see. Um, throw one of those uh, in front of one of your vents and you'll be in really good shape. Well, and, you know, the uh, the last thing it says on that is let's sit with the windows down for deodorizer to settle. So don't throw your, de- your you know, chlorine dioxide on the vents and then drive to Florida. Right. <laughs> you right. know, leave it, leave it up. Do it on a day when you don't have to take the car nowhere and you can leave the windows down all day. Exactly. All right. Well, let's step away for a break. Let's talk about a cigar under eight. When we get back, we're going to do a little legal update. Believe it or not, there is some legal stuff going on right now. And all about the FDA, we want to talk about, um, strangely enough, Jerry Seinfeld (laughs) and um, Disneyland. So stay tuned. Shane here with this week's Cigar Under 8. This week, I want to talk about the Gilberto Oliva Reserva. You know, when I got on my Oliva kick last year, I smoked a ton of these, and I really, really like it. It's a perfect morning cigar if you're the kind of person that likes a little bit milder cigar to start the day. It registers as a medium. I mean, it's not a full-on mild cigar, but it's definitely not one that's going to put you behind the eight ball for the rest of your day if it's your first one in the morning. So it's an Indonesian Sumatra wrapper with a binder that's Habano and a filler that's Nicaraguan. Now, why it says binder Habano? Is that Nicaraguan Habano? Is that Dominican Habano? I mean, they just say Habano. Right. And all, but the Indonesian Sumatra wrapper, now that gives it a little something special. It does. And all, this is a good, not great cigar for me. This is always consistent. This is your Starbucks, Starbucks example. Right. It's always going to be good, probably never going to be great. Yeah. But for the price, I mean, right now on Cigar.com, they've got a box of 20 Toros for $81.99. So that is hard to beat. Yeah, that's four bucks and some change. And one of the great things about this virus is we've, um, we have free shipping on almost every cigar website in Absolutely. the world. And all shipping has just become something they've decided they'll take care of. Mm-hmm. And I'll but a really good cigar. Till next week, try the Gilberto Oliva Reserva. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane. Sitting across from the man who's done so many prison yard workouts during quarantine, last week he shanked his neighbor, Mr. <laughs> Trey Dunn. How's Mrs. Kravitz doing? <laughs> She's a widower now. Did you did you go sharpen toothbrush? Was that yeah. the, the route you yeah, went? Always, always. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, no, I've got 3D printer. It just, it makes it... <laughs> 
That's, that, that's the most metrosexual shanking in the history of mankind. I think oh, we were to call the people great. from it Guinness. Allows, it allows you to uh, it allows you to customize it. You can put their initials in it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is funny you mentioned that. My brother's the big workout fiend, but just last night, you know, because I'm, I'm I do mostly cardio. Went on a bike ride this week. Went on a run this week, and it was it's like you know what I want something a little bit more. And so I actually had him, he sent me like a four page text message full of workouts to do. And now I don't want to do it because <laughs> it just yeah. looks like too much. Yeah. Well, it's been interesting because walking ace in the morning, you know, me and him walk every morning and that's kind of the time you see everybody getting out that normally would be going to the gym mm-hmm. out in their garage or in their driveway and, and kind of doing that prison yard body weight workout. Yeah. And I'll, and of course, most of them. It's strange. I imagine the amount of tattoos in my neighborhood and amount of tattoos in prison are about equal. <laughs> and I, what's the deal? Everybody's got a tattoo now. I don't understand when, why that became, why that took off. <laughs> I got nothing for. It. I've had, I've had mine for about ten years now. So I'm. But you see, you got tattoos and you stopped. Right. And I do I'll, have one more coming. Okay. I will do one more if I can ever get up the stones to have it done because it's going to be. Right here on my chest, which is apparently one of the most painful places to get one. So I'm, I'm having to work up the nerve. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm not going to get into that too far because the tattoo thing totally eludes me. I've, I mean, I don't have no trouble with anybody having them. If it's what you want, do it. It's just not something you'd ever do for yourself. Just not, a, not an interest. I've never seen a picture I liked well enough to have it carved into my flesh. <laughs> <laughs> just not one of those things. And I'll, okay, cigar news. So, well, before we get into cigar news, tell me about the CAL Gold. What's it's, your experience? It's really good. The Brazilian flavor in the wrapper is really coming out. And I don't know if that's the age or if it's just been so long since I've had a Brazilian wrapper that I'm, I'm really getting that, that copper kind of right. taste that comes with it, but not in a way that's overpowering. I'm really enjoying it. It is, it is drawing just a hair tighter than I would prefer, uh, but not so much that it's tampering my enjoyment tempering my enjoyment i think brazilian tobacco ages better than any tobacco i don't think any tobacco ages as well as brazilian tobacco now that may be but i've smoked more aged brazilian tobacco Could be. but i'm just you know connecticut to me reaches a point where it goes on the decline right it's aged as far as it's going to i've had some edges that i aged for a couple of years that just died mm-hmm and also, Connecticut ba- tobacco can go on the down slope pretty quick if you ain't careful. Especially when you're dealing with a leaf like Connecticut that doesn't have a whole lot going on to begin with. You know, aging is is going. It's it's going to mellow the flavors out. It's going to blend the flavors, and kind of like how spaghetti is always better the second day, right? And so. You with something like Connecticut, which is pretty mild in flavor profile anyway. Yeah, it can certainly hit a point of diminishing returns. Oh yeah. So the Quattro Cinco is excellent. I mean, it's it's everything I needed. It's it's mellowed out over time, but it's mellowed out in a blending fashion. It's not became less strength. It's just become more even through the whole right. cigar. And I'm and that's really textbook aging. That. Yeah, that's really what aging is all about. Right. And I'm, it's been incredibly consistent from this fresh puff to the one I just had. Um, the light was perfect. The burn is doing well. The draw has been perfect. I mean, it's just a great cigar. It's just hard to complain 
about these original Hoyas and how good they got. Yeah. So, Half Wheel. Eight cigar companies and two cigar trade groups seek indefinite delay of FDA substantial equivalency due to coronavirus. I, I wonder how this works from a legal standpoint if it's granted. You know, at, at, what is the language like that allows them to come back on the indefinency? See, that, that blows my mind. The other thing that blows my mind about this is this is eight cigar companies. Alec Bradley, Arturo Fuente, Ashton, Crownheads, Holtz, Olivia, Padron, and Rocky Patel. So if they get this, does that mean Drew Estate's still going to have to go through substantial equivalency? No, I don't think they're doing it. I think they're representing the industry. I think they're just the ones that have put their name on it. Because Cigarettes of America and PCA are both involved in this as well. Okay, so these are the people paying the bills. Yeah. I don't understand the purpose of this. I mean, let's get a date. Let's see. Let's get a premium cigar exemption. Let's focus all our energy on that. Maybe I don't understand politics. So I, I think the reason that they're seeking indefinite is the fact that we do not have a timeline for when all of this coronavirus stuff is going to finish up, when we're going to be past it. And so you can't – I think there uh, – Lawyers that listen to the show are going to be screaming at the radios right now. But I believe there are only so... <laughs> I love that fantasy that lawyers listen to the yeah, show. Right. Carry on. <laughs> I, I know at least one that doesn't. So, uh, the, so, But I'm wondering if maybe there's some type of statute that once you do this once, you can only do it so many times after that. So they can't keep kicking down the can down the road. And if you don't know what the timeline is going to look like you just kind of have to say let's make this indefinite until we get past whatever this is okay but how does the coronavirus affect substantial equivalency i mean isn't that all that testing done in a lab anyway well i i think because i mean it's affecting revenue right it's also affecting how often congress is meeting and how often you know they're 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 really scaling back you know, the congressional meetings and things like that. So I think it has more to do with operational hours than it does the coronavirus's actual impact on proceeding with this. You know, the courts are all closed right now and that sort of thing. Well, I hate ambiguity. One of the things in my life that I refuse to tolerate is ambiguity in any form. I want to go out, go ahead and say yes or no. Mm-hmm. And then that be it. I hate an answer. You know, when some when I call somebody and say, "Hey, having wrestling Thursday night, you want to come over and watch wrestling?" Oh, I might make it. I might. That's a no. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll, I just I just assume that's a no, and move on with my life and plan accordingly. And rarely am I disappointed. Well, it's just like you know, I'm in the process of planning my wedding for the second time, and uh, the amount of people that don't RSVP is the same thing. You know, I I don't need you to hold on to it because of maybe. Just give me a yes or a no. Right. Just make just make it simple. It's the same reason that it was always worse when your mom said, "Just wait till your dad gets home." It's not that your dad's punishment was going to be that much weight. It's the stewing for three hours, not knowing. Right. You got to formulate a little yeah. on that. Okay. I'm jumping. We're jumping to something here, not cigar related. One of my favorite websites that I look at almost every day. One day we'll have to talk about this. Websites that you look at every day. 
I look at MovieWeb almost every day. MovieWeb.com. Really? Yeah, and I'm not a you know I'm not a big cinephile. Yeah. I just enjoy the the articles. I enjoy the stories. I enjoy all the things they talk about on MovieWeb. They always have interesting stuff going on there. And all, and I couldn't resist. I was actually watching Seinfeld earlier today before I came out here on the porch to start napping. His TV show? Uh, yeah. And all, and Jerry Seinfeld has 23 hours to kill in new Netflix comedy special. And we watched the trailer for this before the show. And I am all in. So... Seinfeld was in the 90s, early mm-hmm. 2000s, and we've spoken before about how it feels kind of dated when you watch it today. The show does, for sure. His, his comedy, I don't think, is as dated. He doesn't do a lot of political stuff. You know, Robin Williams used to do a whole lot of political stuff in his act. Uh, Patton Oswald does a lot of political stuff in his act. Carlin. Those, definitely, if you weren't up on the topical references... Definitely showed some age. Seinfeld doesn't have that as much. Yeah, he's the father of observational comedy. Right. And all, which I enjoy in small doses. Mm-hmm. And all, this, so this, but to me, this is kind of a watershed moment for Jerry. This will tell me if Jerry Seinfeld can be in comedy in the modern era. I, you know, I, I think that's so interesting because the idea of the most successful stand-up comedian of all time having a watershed moment at 56 years old or however old he is now, you know, I think that really speaks to the changing landscape of how we ingest media, uh, how comedy is changing and all those things. I still find his... So 22 years ago, he came out with a stand-up special called I'm Telling You for the Last Time. This was going to be a swan song. And I still quote that special at least three times a week. It still holds up to me as one of the funniest stand-up specials of all time. So if he's taken 22 years off to to hone a a new hour or so, I I have no doubt that it's going to be everything we would hope it would be. Well, if you like his stuff to begin with. But if you watch some of the... If you watch the 70s comics try to come into the 80s, a lot of the 70s comics just couldn't identify with the 80s audience. And now I know I'm showing my age here. I'm talking before a lot of our listeners were born. But if you'll watch every generation's comedy kind of transitions, and you have, you know, you have the flash in the pan. The whole blue collar thing was kind of a flash right. in the pan. And I can't stand Larry the Cable Guy. Well, and that's kind of funny, too, because it was intended to be comedy for your dad. You know, that that blue collar was never meant to be of its generation. It was meant to be kind of new comedy for the previous generation, which which did make it unique. Right. So... I don't know. I'm 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 going to watch it. It preview or premieres May fifth on Netflix, and I'm kind of excited to watch it. I I definitely am. I still watch comedians in cars getting coffee. That's one of those things that I can actually go back and rewatch one that I've already seen before. Which for interview style show, that's kind of hard for me. Once I've heard the interview, I've heard the interview. It's one of the few that I can go back and watch over and over. You know, but I think. Part of why part of why Seinfeld was so successful was some of it had to do with with right place, right time. But he's also one of these guys that sits down in front of a yellow legal pad and forces himself to write over and over and over again every day for the same amount of time. And he just 
you know, he puts in more work than any other stand-up comic ever has, ever will. I think that's uh, has a lot to do with his success. And I don't, but I also think, you know, we were talking before the show about how, you know, he's he's got the money. Oh, he's yeah. got two penthouse apartments in New York City. He's got every car ever made. Like, he's he doesn't do it for the money, but I think there's something, you know, we saw this with Richard Jenny, with Robin Williams, and, and with a number of other comedians who all of a sudden decide that they've just had enough. And I think that says something about the comedic personality that you always have to be creating because that's where you get your sense of self-worth. Well, it's it's interesting. During quarantine, what have you watched? Com- have you watched any comedy during quarantine? Because I found myself coming to more comedy because I I get angry and frustrated at people. I, I do. I haven't watched. See, this is kind of the, I guess this is kind of proof positive of the fact that I'm getting older is that a lot of the new the younger comics like the John Mulaney's and those guys on the circuit right now, I just don't identify with, I don't find their stuff all that funny. Uh, I do like going back to some of the, the older crowd, you know, Seinfeld's definitely a generation ahead of me, but I did still grow up with his TV show and I grew up with him and, um, I haven't been watching, I, you know, I watched blazing saddles last night. Yeah. You know, so I'm still in, I'm still ingesting comedy, but I'm not doing a whole lot of stand-up specials. But this one, I will be May 5th. I'm right there. So one more thing I want to talk about. Disneyland and other theme parks expected to stay closed until 2021. I have yet to see anything that really dives into the why behind this. You know, I saw this come up yesterday, and this seems like just such such a long way off. I'm sure the bean counters in Disney's home offices, you know, punched the numbers and they said that the cost of reopening when there's still so much uncertainty in the late half of the, you know, the last half of this year is going to be so small that, that maybe it's just not worth it. I don't know. Well, you know, also part of it is I'm sure Disney is paid for. So they can shut down and, you know, store things up and they're losing the potential to make money, but it's not costing money. It's not like if you shut down SeaWorld, well, the fish still got to be fed. Right. You know, there's still a cost. There's still a daily amount of money that has to be made to keep a profit. Disney's probably not so much like that. Well, you do have Animal Kingdom, which does have a lot of of live animals that, that still require that care. You do have... Maintenance, you know, those rides are meant to run. You know, if they sit for too long, you'll end up with more problems. All of their resorts will have property maintenance and that sort of thing. Um, How much that uh, truly affects their bottom line. But I also feel like Disney is one of those companies that's big enough. They're probably divested enough that that they can probably handle something like this. But I just think it's it it's so interesting because I know there are plenty of people that are right now, you know, already looking to vacations in September and October because they're going to miss the summer vacations and they're going to, you know, there's plenty of money to be made in tourism when all of this is over and people are proving that they're ready to get back out there. Oh, hey, there's two things. As soon as they have a readily available antibody testing to see if you've already had it or not, I'm there. Mm-hmm. Um. And as soon as they open the cruise boat, cruise ships back up. I'm there. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I'll get a great deal on some cruises. Mm-hmm. 
and all, and I have no fear to go back and go cruising and go back to Cozumel and Costamaya and all those places we talked about that are just drying up and dying right now because the cruise ships are closed down. Yeah, it is interesting in this article. It does say that it's estimated that Disney is losing 20 to $30 million per day. That's staggering. Now, is one of the good things that's going to come out of this, there will no longer be five-hour lines to ride Space Mountain? Are they going to go with so many fewer people that you'll be able to actually say, okay, we're scheduling this day to go to Disney World, and we're going to actually be able to go enjoy it? Is this going to be a good thing for us? See, that's one of the things I've been yet to see, and I I, I feel like Disney really missed a great opportunity to say we are going to use this three-quarters of a year to revamp the parks, to do some updating, to do some this, to you know, to increase the technology, to make for a better experience, more efficient. You know, this is a perfect opportunity to get the Imagineers, you know, working on how to improve the parks. You know, to make it something so that it feels like us, the as the guest, are getting a little bit more when we come back into the parks. Well, I'm because you know I've never been to Disney World, right? Because I hate crowds, and all. If I had the opportunity to say, okay, I'm going to buy tickets for Disney World, June 28th of 2023, and that's the day I'm going to go. Even if I had to buy them in 2021, right? I'd be fine knowing that I was going to get there, and it wasn't going to be shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow, eyeball to eyeball all day long. Well, and a lot of that too comes it has a lot to do with the time of year. If you go early October, you'll not really, but you'll never see another person in the park because the kids are in school. There's, it's not around fall break. The weather's really nice. And if not having kids and having a flexible enough schedule where you could take a vacation in October would be a perfect opportunity. We'll have to plan a, a double vacation. I think, I think you, especially your wife, would get a kick out of Disney World. Yeah, she's been. She, was, she went okay. when she was a nanny okay. and all, but I've never been and I've, I've never had the desire to rush off and do it. Interesting little tidbit about Disney as a company. Can you tell me when Disney first became sustainably profitable? See, the fact that you asked the question makes me think that it's much later than I thought. And um, I'm going to say 78. It was a little before. It was when they opened Disneyland in California. Okay. So there's a great... Uh, Ken, I, I don't think it's Kim Burns' documentary, but it's shot in that style. There is a great documentary on, uh, I think it's on Amazon Prime, about Disney. And it's fascinating. It's all about how he started and, and building his empire and the bridges he burned along the way and the, the, the luck that he struck along the way and all that. And it talks about the fact that basically, you know, Snow White made him a millionaire overnight. But, of course, in a profession like that where you are changing the game, you have to keep innovating to stay ahead of things. And so the next movie, I don't remember what it was, flopped. And then he got Pinocchio did okay, but then Song of the South flopped. And and he was just like every time he'd have a success, he'd follow it up with just a pitiful failure. And it it wasn't until he opened Disneyland that that's what became the huge revenue generator that allowed him to become the Disney that we know later expand to Orlando and the rest is history. I just thought that was so, I would have thought he was successful long before that. Right. Well, 
All right, let's go back to cigars. Let's rate our cigars. Tell me what you what you what you're gonna rate the CAO Gold Fossil. I am going to rate this as a five with an asterisk. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think my palate may be a little blown out. There's something there's something going on in on my palate that I'm just not in love with this cigar. But I, I I'm not ready to blame it on the cigar. Do you think it would have been better new or better now? I definitely think it's better now, but there is a certain amount of harshness to the mm-hmm. smoke that I wouldn't have expected of a cigar with this age. I don't know if maybe that has to do with the fact that it set unmonitored for so long before it got nursed back to health. There may be some of that in there. There is, there is a certain, you know, less expensive cigars do have a tendency to have a little bit more harshness. They're less smooth. Right. I would expect smooth out of age. That's usually where that comes from. And I'm, I'm I'm not getting that. So I'm I'm but I'm also like I said I'm willing to take some of that and say maybe it's my palate, maybe it's me. So that's why I say 5 but with an asterisk. Well, the Quattro Cinco 2013 edition just an excellent smoke. I just I can't complain at all about it. It's a solid 6 and a half. The only reason I don't give it a 7 is availability. I have a hard time giving a 7 to a cigar of limited availability. Yeah, I'll always I'll because I got to factor that in. You right. know, I'm going to factor in pricing. I'm going to factor in availability. Um, fair or unfair, this is the common man's cigar rating system. Right. And also, I can't give it a seven because of availability. Now, flavor wise, it's amazing. It's excellent. It has aged so well and blended so smoothly. Love everything about it. But I am going to give it the six and a half. All right. Well, how do they get a hold of us, Trey? Well. You can reach us via email at info at cigarcast.com or on facebook.com slash the cigarcast and Instagram and Twitter at the cigarcast. Well, thanks everybody for listening this week. Until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us. Mm-hmm.